On Siblings on Record, the talking heads remain in light. I'm Shannon Fleming. And I'm Aaron Martell, Shannon's big brother. And welcome to Siblings on Record. This is a podcast where one of us chooses an artist and album, and together we analyze it and then discuss it. This time it's my pick, and I chose The Talking Heads Remain in Light. So Aaron, tell me how you got into The Talking Heads. All right, The Talking Heads. I first noticed this band, became aware of them with the song Burning Down the House. Me too. Which I think came out the album after the one we're going to talk about today. They've been around, obviously, a long time before that. And I had a friend in high school who was into this band and listened to their music and had their records. Shout out to Chris Lazinski. I bet you're listening to this episode, aren't you? But... I was never a big fan of theirs. I barely knew anything by them, but I liked the song Burning Down the House, so I was intrigued. And then I think that's when Stop Making Sense, the movie, came out. It was like a live movie about their live show. And the videos that they put out on MTV, and we're talking, you know, this is the mid-'80s. This is the huge MTV era. The videos that they put out for Stop Making Sense, I liked everything that they put out there. So I thought maybe this is a band I should check out. And over the years, I would hear some of their songs, you know, on subsequent albums. And then I started paying attention because they would play songs by them from before. You know, there's especially there's a big song on this album, of course, that we're going to talk about that I heard. And I I seem to like everything that I heard by them. So they were a band that I always had in the back of my mind that I want to explore the catalog. I just never did for the longest time. I just figured, no, one day I'm going to get around to exploring the Talking Heads. Well, that finally happened around three or four years ago. I finally decided to get around to uh, acquiring the Talking Heads catalog, really diving into the music, discovered that I really do love this band, and I pretty much like all of the records. Sort of a spoiler for what we're going to talk about today. So this album, I acquired all the albums in order of release. So eventually it came around to this one, and that's where I'm at with that. So how about you? How did you get into this band and this record? Well, pretty much um, everything you just said, with the exception that I I haven't delved into them quite as thoroughly as you have, I'm kind of ashamed and humbled to say. In fact, Remain in Light, this was my first round with it. I knew two songs from it, and I think they were the only two releases, which was, of course, my favorite, Once in a Lifetime, and Houses in Motion. So I, I was aware of those songs. I'm the same with you. The first time I ever became aware of the Talking Heads was Burning Down the House, was MTV. The video was just very striking to me because there's like this head going down the street. <laughs> I'm like, why is there a head moving down the street? You know, the house burning and the guys and the kids and like all the weird people that were, you know, dancing together on the stage. And I thought that was really odd. And it took me a while. I didn't like it initially at first because... It was so different. It wasn't until I became an adult, really, that I began to have an appreciation for them. And like you, basically their live album, well, you said the movie, really struck me because it had so many of their hits on it, which is what I always appreciated about them. So that's basically it for me. I'm going to become more appreciative of it as we go, I'm sure. This won't be the only album that we'll cover in the future. This is really the first album that I've really listened to in its entirety, besides, like I said, the live album. It's been interesting. Okay, Aaron, so why don't you give us some album facts, please? I'd be happy to. 
Remain in Light is the fourth studio album by American new wave band Talking Heads, released on October 8, 1980, through Sire Records. It was produced by Brian Eno and was recorded between July and August 1980 at Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas and Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It reached number 19 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and is certified gold by the RIAA. Now moving on to the lineup card, we have the Talking Heads. David Byrne, lead vocals, guitars, bass guitar, keyboards, percussion, vocal arrangements. Jerry Harrison, guitars, bass guitar, keyboards, percussion, backing vocals. Tina Weymouth, bass guitar, keyboards, percussion, backing vocals. Chris Franz, drums, percussion, keyboards, backing vocals. Additional musicians, Brian Eno. Bass guitar, keyboards, percussion, backing vocals, vocal arrangements. Nona Hendricks, backing vocals. Adrian Ballou, guitar, Roland Guitar Synthesizer. Robert Palmer, percussion. Jose Rossi, percussion. John Hassel, trumpets, horns. Moving on to the track-by-track analysis, I need to make a note that all tracks are written by David Byrne, Brian Eno, Chris Franz, Jerry Harrison, and Tina Weymouth. Track number one, Born Under Punches, The Heat Goes On. I'm so thin. What do you think about this song? I'm a government man. (laughs) It's very musically dense. It sounds like one continuous loop, which is what Eno was experimenting with. Uh, The band jammed these musical bits, and then they would be turned into tracks. The sound is very layered. There's keyboard, percussion elements all over the place. Tina's playing some funky slap bass. Yes. There's all kinds of keyboard blips and burbles all over the place, especially in the solo section where it sounds like, you know, (laughs) I would attribute that to Adrian Ballou for sure. Yeah, it was really, really crazy. Yeah, it is. There's a constant funky guitar line running underneath. The lyrics are supposedly borrowed from preaching, and they seem to be filled with paranoia, especially with with David Byrne. His delivery, his vocal delivery, usually has this nervous energy anyway. I think when you hear how people describe his voice, most of the time you hear that, like, it's nervous. It's not a typical lead vocalist type of voice. Well, and he probably comes by it honestly, too, when you think about it, because from what I've read, he's actually nervous live. He tends to be a little on the, on the nervous side. Like, you can actually see it. You can hear it in his voice. So I, I can totally see that. Right. That makes sense. Most of the tracks on this record don't really have a structure like verse, chorus. No, they don't. It's all like one continuous line. But there are parts in here that I guess you could call it the chorus. But it almost sounds like they're chanting. Well, at the end, specifically. I guess uh, from what I read, David was suffering from writer's block. So he wrote the words on this on pretty much most of the album, in a stream-of-consciousness, cut-and-paste style. I think this is a weird-ass way to start the record. It's a cool track, and this certainly isn't your daddy's talking heads. This does not sound like their prior work. No. At all. 
So that's what I have to say about it, Shan. What do you think about this one? I really think this is a great intro to this album. It's very powerful just coming in with a percussion, that intro, ha, you know? Yeah, I like that. I think, yeah, me too. I think you're right about the, the layered sound. You can hear like this African sound underneath it, the funk on top of it. The verses are very choppy, almost like a Lou Reedish type of sound. That monologue that he always has going on, you know, don't you miss it? Don't you miss it? You know, that type of thing, you know? But what I find really interesting about it that I really like is we were talking about how, like, there's really no structure to it. With the chorus, what I think of as the chorus is it's dreamy sounding. And this is where that Adrian Blue, I'm a huge Adrian Blue fan, by the way. I know he played with Frank Zappa. So I don't know who took what from who. Because Adrian's solo stuff is somewhat similar to the Talking Heads, so which came first, I'm not sure. But that chorus is so dreamy, and it, it's such a nice sound on top of all this stuff going on underneath it. I think it's a really powerful intro, and I, I really like this song a lot. Moving on to track number two, Cross-Eyed and Painless. Tell me what you think. The tempo on this one is a little faster than the first song. It's a danceable drum pattern. Again, there's tons of percussion. Like you said for the first song, I really pick up on the African musical influences, which I guess came mostly from Byrne and Eno because they had worked on music together that incorporated African rhythms and ideas. Big time into world music, yeah. Though I also read that Chris and Tina disputed that, you know, that they were into that sort of music too. Oh, I mean, these guys were forever feuding with any, the band was constantly in feuds, so I can see that too. For this song, it just seems to me it's like just one constant musical idea that's looped mm -hmm. with impressionistic lyrics. Elements appear and disappear. There seems to be no distinct verse chorus sections again, except the change maybe in the vocal melody and the backing vocals. There's sort of a guitar solo here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the lyrics describe, for, for me, the lyrics uh, discuss a paranoid and alienated man, maybe, who feels he's stressed by his urban surroundings. That's sort of what I'm picking up from it. There's that part where he starts talking about the facts, the, the facts, towards the end of the song, which were supposedly inspired by old school rap, because hip-hop was beginning to emerge at this time, and it was evolving in New York City. The Talking Heads were starting to absorb this, too. So it's actually coming out in this music a little bit. And then, you know, still waiting, still waiting. I like that part, too. So what about you and this song? It's difficult for me to analyze because there is so much stuff going on. Now, for me, this kind of has more of a classic, I guess, classic Talking Heads type of sound. It's that, you know, ding, it's got that all that jangly going on, the really funky bass. And you're right about that looping sound. In fact, what I tend to think about with this band, they tend to be one of the pioneers of what becomes house music later on. You mentioned like early rap. If you think about house music, it's like when you go to a dance club now, like a techno club, they'll like do their own mixing. It's like almost like its own brand of musicianship, if you will. And I think these guys kind of set like some sort of a, a tone for that. Like you could manipulate the sound. Maybe that's what they do. I, it just reminds me of what you would hear in, in some techno type clubs. I'm with you. It's pretty catchy. It's totally different from the first song, although it does have a similar ending to Born Under Punches. I like it. It's pretty cool. Track number three, The Great Curve. The world has a way of looking at people. Sometimes we feel that the world is wrong. 
Tell me what you think, big brother. This one has a faster tempo again than the last song. Congas give this a strong African feel. There's a droning bass. There's all kinds of funk guitar flourishes. Horn parts pop in like exclamation points. Nona Hendrix, she was of LaBelle with Patti LaBelle. She's on backing vocals. There's extremely layered vocal lines. They kind of swirl around each other on the choruses. I love the line, the world moves on a woman's hips. I think that's a great line. This is taken from African ideas that music is as much a form of communication as it is an art form. The lyrics make me think about the divine feminine, as well as a comment on femininity in general. Adrian Ballou takes the song out on a wonky, choppy guitar solo as the song fades. I really dig this one. How about you? Wow. That, you know, I don't think I can say anything that's going to be as eloquent as what you just put out there. Yes, agreed with everything that you just said. The thing that I find interesting about the vocal style is it's kind of reminiscent of Psycho Killer, in my opinion. He sings it very in a very similar fashion, but it's like a totally different kind of song. It's funny with David Byrne because he'll use the same type of vocal style in different types of songs, but you can hear the influences from previous songs. I hope that makes sense. It does to me. I totally agree. Adrian Blue does go like really wonky on this, but that's his style all the way. I do like the horn solo a lot. I think it's a, a neat inflection. It's a cool tune. Um, again, I go back to that house music sound. It's it's one of those things that I can see people really doing in a dance club. It's, it's pretty cool. I like this song. Now we're going to flip over our imaginary album and go to side two, track number four, Once in a Lifetime. Find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, What do you think about this song? Well, this is the big one, right? The one everybody knows off this album? It's my favorite one. Yeah, go ahead. It's got a dance groove. Drums and bass anchor this track. There's some shimmering keyboard lines by Jerry Harrison. It almost feels like a waterfall. You know, it's like tinkling. Yes. (laughs) There's tons of percussion all over the place. They are for almost all of these tracks. All kinds of multi-rhythms, polyrhythms, which were inspired by famed African musician Fela Kuti. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Eno introduced this, Brian Eno, and he had the band members record different rhythmic ideas independent of each other. And then he pulled it all together, fading the different ideas in at different parts of the track. So he had each individual musician come in. They did all their kinds of rhythmic things without knowing what everybody else was doing. And Eno kind of pulled it all together and faded it in and out on this track. It's really very complex how he put this track together. Eno actually didn't like the song until he came up with the vocal melody for the chorus, which is catchy as fuck. Yeah, it is. There's more funky guitar constantly chugging underneath the song. There's a low vocal aping the bass line. Do-do-do-do. You ever notice that? Yeah, you know, in fact, when I, when the song starts, I actually thought it might have been vocals going... Do-do-do. Yeah, there's vocals on top of the bass. Yes, exactly. I love that. That's such a cool element. But to me, David owns this song. The lyrics are about the mundane activities of daily life and what's normally considered important in achieving them, but you don't even realize it. You know, how did I get here? Yes. Unconsciously letting life happen to you and it does all this shit. You know, does all this shit even matter? This isn't my wife. (laughs) Yeah, the same as it ever was. Oh, man, it's so good. 
Yeah, I love the words to the song. You know, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. I love those lines. David's talky vocal delivery is inspired by American radio evangelists. And then Jerry's Hammond organ fades out with the song. The song is tremendous. It really deserves all the accolades it gets. It's one of the Talking Heads' major songs. I would say it's probably their most popular. It's got to be, well, maybe there's Burning Down the House, too. But it's got to be right up there. You know, I, I figure it's got to be like one of the top three most popular songs. I love it. How about you? I agree with all of that. This is one of my favorite Talking Heads songs of all time for all of those reasons, particularly the, the actual lyrics. I mean, I think most people can relate to them. And that's what's most important because we all feel this way from time to time. And I think this is where David Byrne really shines. The man is a monster lyricist. He comes up with such great ideas. And you're right. I love that you kind of made the connection with evangelism because he does. He sounds like he's preaching. It sounds so cool. And it's very melodic. And this is, you know, we were talking about how like there's songs, especially on the first side, where it's mostly like a loop. There's really no particular structure to them. Yeah, in a lot of ways, the first side sounds like one big continuous song. Yes, yeah, except that, like you said, it starts like kind of slow and then it speeds up to the end. Right. But in this song, there is a definite structure to it. There are verses and then there are, there's definitely the chorus. And then, of course, it fades out like, you know, same as it ever was. It's such a cool tune. And I think that if you say the Talking Heads, I think you're right. You're either going to come up with Burning Down the House or this song. It's such a cool tune. I love it. Moving on to track number five, Houses in Motion. What do you think? All right, I want you to picture this. I don't know if there was an actual video made for this song, but if I'm making a video, this is what I want to see. The camera's focused right on David, right on his face. He's standing there looking at the camera. He's got a deadpan look on his face. He starts reciting the verses as it starts. The camera kind of pans back slowly, goes a little bit faster, a little bit faster, so you can see his entire body, and he's standing in the middle of a flock of ducks that are quacking at his feet. <laughs> Because that noise that runs throughout the song, it sounds like ducks quacking it to me. That's does. the first thing. That's all I think of when I hear that. I think it's hilarious. That noise is so funny. It just it pulls me right into the song. David delivers these lyrics without emotion. He's talking instead of singing. The choruses do have his more typical nervous effect with the backing vocals. Uh, like the other tracks, basic drums and bass establishes a groove. The guitar lines are purely rhythmic. The brass parts are played throughout the song. Sometimes they're prominent, sometimes they're more buried. It's a very odd but cool track. I dig it. How about you? It's so funny that you use the word deadpan because that's actually one of the words that I actually I take notes for you listeners out there just for songs and and deadpan was one of the ones that I used for this because it is you've got that jangly guitar but there's like that deadpan bass and with a little bit of a funk confusion there now there is that Indian sounding solo to me again we're back to that world music again now this one has a little bit more of an Indian sound to me with a solo it's got this really really interesting convergence of that funk and world I love your description of how the video should go I can totally picture that this is a very cool tune it happens to be the other single off this album I think it did quite well actually it's pretty different these guys are just so unique it's good quack <laughs> 
Number six, seen and not seen. The change would be very subtle. It might take 10 years or so. Gradually, his face would change its shape. The more hook nose, wider, thinner lips, beady eyes, a larger forehead. What do you think about this one? It's another looped mid tempo drum and bass groove. There's hand claps, shakers, and other rhythmic percussion, which is constant throughout the track. There's keyboard blips and noises that are faded in and out all over the track. I love the doot, doot, doot. <laughs> that part, you know, it's the toot, toot, whatever, you know, the doot, 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 whatever that, the keyboard sound. I, I think it's keyboards that makes that makes that sound. The keyboards kind of dominate this song. There's all kinds of shit going on there. So, <laughs> Just like the prior song, David doesn't sing. He speaks the lyrics for the entire song. My interpretation of them is that I feel it's about conformity, changing yourself, even your appearance to fit the mold of a certain, maybe a societal expectation, an ideal that you might not even believe in or go against your nature, but you're forcing yourself to become something you're not. That's sort of what I get from it, because it sounds almost depressive. It sounds kind of melancholy or it's a downer. I think he gets that mood of melancholy across with those like wordless background vocals that he uses in it, too. So that's how I feel about this song. What about you? The thing that strikes me about it, of course, all the things like, you know, the percussion intro with the clapping and, of course, the keyboards dominate this song. The monologuish vocals, which I kind of liken to the Velvet Underground, but I know that they were kind of influenced by them. You know, that Lou Reedish. Lou Reed, yes. I get a very heavy Lou Reed vibe. Yes. Especially in the vocals and the lyrics. Definitely. He's almost like. Because these lyrics are very Lou Reedish, too. Yes, they are. They're just kind of, yeah, melancholy, like you said, depressing. He almost like mumbles. It's interesting. It's like, you know, he's kind of singing like this. It's not his usual kind of like upbeat type of sound. (laughs) I like this song. It kind of makes you feel a little darker. Being seen and not seen, I think we all know what that's like. The thing I love about Byrne is his lyrics. They are completely so creative. I mean, he's almost whimsical in his nature. And I, I just find that he's able to convey that with realism. I mean, there's like some idealism mixed with his realism. And in this song, there's definitely some realism. I think it's pretty cool. Track seven, Listening Wind. This one has an atmospheric production, constant keyboard squiggles and blips. It has an exotic feel, mm-hmm. almost a Middle Eastern type feel. Well, that's what it's supposed to be like, yes. The lyrics are about a terrorist who plans and carries out bombings of the American invaders who are occupying his country. But like any terrorist, he feels that he's in the right. And the chorus comes across as like a mantra the terrorist recites in his head. That's how I interpret that. There's more percussion in this track, keeping a polyrhythmic vibe. The bass line is more complex in this song. The guitar is effects heavy and adds to the dreamy, somber atmosphere. This song, though, is not my favorite. Matter of fact, this is my least favorite on this one. This one doesn't quite grab me sonically or lyrically. It's interesting lyrically, but it just doesn't grab me the way the other tracks do. So this is definitely... 
Aaron's Stinky Stinker. How about you? I like this song. Initially, when I listened to it, and I was so off, I almost thought it had like a reggae-ish undertone. But then I went back and I actually read about the song and what it was supposed to be was Arabic sounding. You hit that nail right on the head. Again, we're looking at some melancholic type of chorus offsets for the overall sound. It has that dreamy overlay, that wind in my heart. The Talking Heads is nothing but layers. And it's so difficult to analyze because it's hard to focus on it. There's so much stuff going on, you could just peel it back layer by layer. It's just crazy. This is not my stinky stinker. I do like the song. It's definitely not one of my favorites, but I do like it. Moving on to the final track, The Overload. We even recognize What do you think? The first time I heard this, I thought, God damn, it sounds like Joy Division. Then I come to find out that the basis of the song is that the band tried to write a song that sounds like Joy Division based entirely on a description of Joy Division's music from Brian Eno without any members of the Talking Heads hearing what Joy Division sounded like. So they didn't hear any of their music. They were just listening to the description from Brian Eno and they came up with this. And they fucking succeeded. Yeah, they really did. (laughs) It's gloomy, it's dark, it's atmospheric. The keyboards make a haunting, almost scary noises. Yep. The rhythm is slow and plodding. The guitar lines are drawn out and droning. The whole song has a heavy droning weight to it. David sings the lyrics coldly, emotionless, even when he sings in a higher pitch. Uh, The lyrics are hard to interpret, though. My sense is of a person having a quiet mental breakdown, maybe he's schizophrenic. But this one, I really don't know what he's talking about. I do like this track a lot. It gives me a creepy, unsettled feeling, which is what Joy Division's music does to me. I really dig this track. How about you? <laughs> this is the song I like least on the album. Oh. <laughs> you know, and it might be for many of the reasons that you just stated. It has a dark and foreboding sound. And it's dragged out. The guitars are just dragged out. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny. You were talking about picture this for like a video. I don't necessarily picture a video, but what I feel and what I see in my head is monochrome. Everything's black and white. There's no shades of gray or anything. He sings it almost in monotone. So it's like the two kind of go hand in hand. I hear that Velvet Underground type of sound again. You said Joy Division, which, yes, you're absolutely right. But I also hear a bit of Velvet Underground in there as well, especially with the vocals. I'm not crazy about the song. And maybe it is because of how it makes me feel. It just makes me feel kind of dark. And I'm not crazy about the guitars. I mean, in terms of just the verse, for the most part, this song just doesn't do it for me. So this is my least favorite. Well, that completes our track-by-track analysis, and now we are moving on to our rating system, which is a zero to five rating system, zero being this is complete crap, and five being like, oh yeah, this is awesome. So, Aaron, tell me what you think about Remain in Light. When the Talking Heads started, they were a band that used to play the CBGV's uh, famous little club in New York where a lot of big new wave or punk band, you know, the Ramones became big there, Blondie, yep. Television, uh, Patti Smith. So when they started, Talking Heads sounded like a lot of those bands. It was, you know, sparse guitar rock. They had their own spin on it. I mean, someday I'm sure we're going to cover their earlier albums, so I don't want to go too much into it. It's a far cry from what this is. 
Right. But there's a steady progression. The album prior to this, there's a track that's very much in the style of what this album is. So they're kind of going step by step, and then this is the full-blown vision of what they were working towards. Because they were also working with Brian Eno, who is very famous for his keyboard ambient instrumental work. For me, this is not my favorite Talking Heads record. Matter of fact, it's not even my top half of Talking Heads. I like the earlier stuff. I like the more raw stuff. And there are actually some later stuff that I actually dig a little bit more than this one. I get why it's popular. This is a critic's darling record. It's Talking Heads' most critically acclaimed record. This is the record that critics point to as sort of their pinnacle, their peak. I understand that. It just doesn't resonate with me as much as some of their other stuff does. I do like this album a lot, though. They don't have a record I don't like at all. This one gets a three and a half from me. I hear a lot of elements of what hip-hop was and what it becomes. A lot of today's hip-hop is this sort of thing. It's a lot of computerized stuff. These guys were using analog tape and looping it. Today it's computerized. So this is an early version of what hip-hop would evolve into. And like you said, house music, same concept. So this is a very influential record. Overall, I do like this record a lot. I mean, obviously, throughout the track by track, you can tell I like these tracks a lot, but it's not my favorite Talking Heads record. It's a three and a half for me. Shannon, how about you? It's funny because I actually rate it the same way. I already had it in my mind that it was a three and a half, even though I can appreciate that the critics really, really loved it. Like I said, it has so many layers to it. I mean, it infuses so many different elements of music. You've got new wave, funk, world beat, dance rock, even some punk in there a little bit. It's all over the place, and I can appreciate appreciate that so much. I think these are pioneers of what would become our modern house music in clubs where you've got somebody up there who actually mixes their own music and they make it their own. Also, another note that I want to make about this is that in 2017, the Library of Congress selected it for preservation in their National Recording Registry. It's considered culturally and artistically significant. I can totally see that. It's a landmark record. It is a landmark record. So I can appreciate all that. And even though this is like the second full album by the Talking Heads that I've ever listened to, I do like the songs overall. It's just you have to be in a certain mood to get into them because it's just so different from everything else. It's not easy listening to me. Let's put it that way. There's still so much shit going on. It's there's so much going on. It's it's hard. You really have to it's almost like listening to jazz in in one respect. And it's so radically different from what they did before. Yes. I wonder at the time how many fans were like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it is. They probably were, like, really shocked by it. I think it does take a couple of listens to really get into it. The one song I knew was Once in a Lifetime. I love that song. Oh, my God, I love that song. But, again, it has a traditional type of structure. The other songs tend to be just really, really odd. I do like odd stuff, but for a band as commercially successful as these guys, it was really different. So, yeah, I'll stick with my three and a half. As always, we'd now like to thank all of the listeners who have downloaded the podcast and liked or shared the show on Facebook. We don't take any of you for granted, and we massively appreciate your continued support. The podcast is spread across the United States and to different countries around the world, and it's all you listeners who have made it happen. So thank you all so very much. We're going to continue on in 2018 to bring you content. We hope you enjoy. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. 
If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, which is another place where you can review the show, and there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Siblings on Record branch of the show. You want to come on this podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for people to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. For Siblings on Record, I am Shannon. And I'm Aaron. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. Motel now. I think I think there's a market for this. <laughs>